Welcome to the How to Find and Keep a Gay Man podcast. I'm Matt Bays, your host, with Matt Heinker, your co-host. And we're here to provide bitchy wisdom for the gay man looking for love. There are a lot of gay men out there looking for a meaningful love experience, and we are here to help. You can follow How to Find and Keep a Gay Man on Instagram and TikTok, where you'll find all sorts of bitchy wisdom about what it's going to take to find and keep a gay man. Welcome. We're glad you're here. We are coming at the children live today from Traverse City, Michigan, on how to find and keep a gay man. And you were wearing a shirt that says Rough Pony. Is my nickname in high school wrestling. (laughs) It was not. No, it wasn't. Oh, my God. No, there is a coffee shop here called Rough Pony. And we did ask the lady, why is it called Rough Pony? And she said, when we were little, we played Pony around the house and she goes and then one day my I think it was her sister or her brother got really rough and started smacking like they got in some sort of fight and then they called it rough pony and literally she named her coffee shop rough pony that's really funny I mean it's an awesome name and you're like isn't it cute it is a really cute shirt it looks like it might be like a kink shirt or something but now that you tell me you got it from a coffee shop you're good I've sent everybody out of the house everybody go (laughs) bye-bye Chris is here my friend Beth is here My daughter, Chloe, and her friend. Yeah, it's a a whole gaggle of us. It's a really cute place. I think we're taking a pontoon ride tonight uh, and saving our boat ride for tomorrow. Well, nice. Yes. And hey, we just released today, uh, Mm -hmm. The Lord is My Shepherd and She Knows I'm Gay, episode one, where we talked about the ancient scriptures and the Bible, Mm -hmm. all of the ancient text, and debunked a lot of the stuff that we've believed, the clobber passages. Yes, and um, it's going well. I've already received some really good feedback on it, which is encouraging. I'm, I'm glad it was helpful to people. It's great. And but before good. we start and go into the next topic, I do want to take just a second and recant a little something that I said on Chosen Family two weeks ago. I had a couple of friends reach out to me. I had a stroke or something and said that there were no straights in my Chosen Family. I don't know what I was thinking. Oh, dear. There's more than a handful of straight people in my chosen family. I don't know what I was thinking. So anyway, all my straights in my chosen family, I see you. Forgive oh, me. Oh, and the straights in your chosen family took you to task for that. They took me to task for it. And rightfully oh. so. Let's be careful. If I want them to be careful with pronouns, I have to be careful with them. Okay. So yes. sorry, y'all. Love my allies and my chosen family. Shout outs. Love Which you. leads me Love. to believe whether or not they are straight enough to be called straight. If you just what? ignored them, maybe they're on the fence. Are they bi-curious? You know what? That's not my journey, but God bless all of them. (laughs) Yes. One of the people in your straight chosen family will be listening to this right now being like, Matt Bays, shut the (laughs) fuck up. He's as straight as they come, but it'd be fun to make him a little nervous. And he might be like, am I bi-curious? Maybe I am. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Uh, The gays would love him. Oh. And his nice suits and his. his, Careful now. No, let me finish. I was going to say his dazzling white smile. Nothing mm, dirty. Yes, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Good. Okay. Well, so to- the Lord is my shepherd and she knows that I'm gay. She better. What do we got? <laughs> she better at this point. What do we got for the children today? Well, today we are going personal, which Mm. I'm excited about this because last week we 
talked a lot through some history stuff. And as I mentioned, going through scriptural clobber passages and debunking some of the myths that we found around a what I would call a white man's theology. A cis uh, white straight man's uh, 100% that yeah. does often not allow for different groups of people. Mm -hmm. When it's interpreted that way, it cuts all kind of people out of the equation. We can't have that. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you're listening to this and you have not heard the week before, I would say go back. It's a really good, solid episode to clarify a few things. Especially uh, those to of us who have gone or are going through deconstruction and have any hope for reconstruction, I would say as well, of any kind yeah. of faith structure. Yeah. 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 And which we're going to get into next week, what that mm -hmm. looks like. Are we going to reorchestrate our faith, that whole deconstruction idea of re-understanding this and putting it back together, which I think a lot of people really want to do. I was once in that camp. Or are mm -hmm. we going to, I don't really like the phrase abandoning our faith. Because it sounds like you're just casually dismissing something. But for me, and we'll get into that more next week, that looks very different this time in my life, which I'm actually kind of proud of and curious to talk more about. But today, we're going to be talking about our personal stories of the church, uh, religion, spirituality, keeping it more on the personal side of your story, Matt, sure. of my story, of the things that kept us stuck for a very long time, kept us from living as our true selves. But also we are going to be kind enough, I think, uh, mm -hmm. to talk about the good influences that we've had through our spiritual experience uh, and the faith that we were raised with. Yes. We're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. There was good in it, which is why we still continue to have this conversation, right? Yeah. So why don't we get started? Are we ready to get started? Or we got any stories? Well, let me ask you this first, just right before, because okay. I think people who do not have children would be somewhat curious as I am. <laughs> I have two children, but they are grown for now with our mm -hmm. combined family, but they're all grown. Sure. What is it like going on vacation with six children, 11 down to two years old. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> it is like 40 years in the desert, honey, praying for manna. No, you know what? I'm not even going to be cute enough to say, oh, I was looking forward to this. I was dreading this trip. We just went, took all of the kids to Hocking Hills, Ohio, had this cabin with the pool and la, la, la. It was the first time we've taken all of them and traveled any distance. And we were there for several days. And there were moments of complete chaos when I was like, this is horrible. And then the large majority of the time we had a blast and the kids really, um, we had a lot of fun. I, I really connected with mine a lot and we swam and made tie dye shirts and zip lined and we just did it all, you know, and I think it was a really good memory for us to all yeah. build together. So, you know, it ain't for sissies, you, you yeah. know, all them kids, but we're doing, it. I'm still tired, but we <laughs> good. I'm glad you guys had fun. So, I had a really unique experience growing up. You know, I was the son, I am the son of a Nazarene minister. And what's unique about our family is we're not just the, you know, we were not just the one super religious family. My aunts and uncles on both sides were not just ministers, but also Nazarene ministers. My cousins all went to Nazarene churches. Like both sides of my family were devout fundamentalist Christians, not just Christians, but in full-time ministry. I say I grew up in the church. My family was the church and the church was my family. 
there was no separation. You know, it permeated every area of our lives. And I wasn't all bad. I grew up with really affectionate, wonderful, loving parents and and in a great family that was very close. But we were so steeped in this very specific environment. You know, when I look back on it now, it feels almost cult-like. And there's a lot that, you know, is tied to that word that's not positive. But it, we just didn't have any exposure to anything that wasn't church-related, you mm-hmm. know. And so um, in the midst of that, here I am conscious pretty early on that I'm different. And I remember some of my earliest memories, you know, I'm six and seven years old in Sunday school and hearing that gay people go to hell and feeling panic for the first time over that. I remember what was on the wall that I was looking at when I heard that the first time as a very young child. So shame and fear being birthed in me from these experiences um, in, you know, really, in all honesty, pretty traumatic ways from as far back as I can remember. Um, further complicating this, <laughs> this whole dynamic was I had a very obviously lesbian aunt, uh, who was a veterinarian and she had a partner for many years that none of us ever met. She never brought her around the family. It was obvious that she was gay and we, no one ever talked about it or acknowledged it. I had a cousin, uh, that was gay and left, escaped <laughs> to California, never to be heard from again. We never saw him again and no one ever talked about him. Um, And I also had an older cousin that was verbally and physically abusive who would call me faggot and hit me and, you know, just do stuff like that. And it was never addressed by anyone around me Um, that from a young age said that all gay people should be lined up in a ditch and shot. And um, my grandparents and people around me laughing about that right before we left for church together. So I learned from a very young age in this super religious family that you know, who I was, was not okay. Gay people were not okay. They were disgusting. They were damned. They were, we couldn't even acknowledge them or talk about it. It was too unspeakable. Um, And so my reaction to that was devout perfection. You know, I was immersed in the church, the perfect pastor's kid, everything about me, I wanted to be above reproach because I wanted, you know, I wanted to be obedient, high achieving. I wanted my proud, my family to be proud of me, all those types of things. I was, I was determined to beat it. So my refuge was music in the church and slang piano. It was my life. I mean, I just, it consumed a lot of my time. I used to play um, piano. My dad would play bass behind me. My mom was on the keyboard. And that was when I kind of found myself happiest and in my own skin. You know, the rare times I felt in my own skin in that piece. Um, and through this, I learned, honestly, I'm old enough that I learned the old hymns. I was kind of moved by them because really what they are are the people expressing their individual experience with God revealing his love to them, um, his presence to them in their lives, his help. Um, those stayed with me and have to this day. So through the brokenness, really, if you look at it, honestly, a pretty abusive, harmful environment, music were the way that I first encountered God and experienced what I believe was his communication of his love for me. It was the light in that really dark place um, that sustained me and helped me to have some sort of introduction to a real faith experience through, you know, my experience of God's love. I do to this day still believe that that is what happened. And that's why I'm still at the end of the day, a person of faith, as I sit here today, but it just was a complicated process. And then when I went off to college, the only option, of course, was a Nazarene university. So I go to college, take all kinds of classes there. I, one of them that sticks out in my mind is church and Christian living, where we learned that God does not create gay people. They're an expression of the fall. You are clearly, you know, in some sort of sin pattern if you succumb to it, you know, trying to beat into our heads that, you know, being gay was not a real thing. It was a sin issue. 
Um, on top of that, we had chapel twice a week. And in those chapel sessions is where I really learned to hate myself because we had focus on family would come routinely and he would have ex-gay speakers come and share their stories with us. People who were steeped in sin and stuck in this gay lifestyle and found Jesus and married women and were redeemed. You know, and I saw that as the template that I needed for my own life. You know, I'm going to beat this and devote my God, my life to God, and He is going to redeem my story through a heterosexual marriage and family. So I was really fed a bill of goods through a series of those speakers that came to the school, and yet I still continue to struggle. At one point through that focus on the family group, I was introduced to conversion therapy for the first time. You know, this was an attempt to heal the broken sexuality within me. Can I pause and ask you a question about that? Please, yeah. How, how did you know something was wrong? I was aware of the fact that I was primarily attracted to men, and I, I was desperate to not be. I was taught that this issue was a sin issue. So for me, it was like a sin that needed to be cleansed from my consciousness and my being. And this conversion therapy, I believe, was real and it was going to heal me, heal the broken masculinity in me is how they phrased it. But I was in it for just a few months and my therapist started to overtly come on to me sexually. And it was a really, really dark kind of breaking point for me. I won't get into the details of what happened, but I was convinced after a few months that conversion therapy was not going to work. And I was hopeless. There was no hope for me. And that began a really, really dark period for me as I, you know, was still very much steeped in, you know, going to church seven times a week and and uh, devoted to living my life the correct way. But I remember shortly after that all came crashing down, I, I went to school in the Chicago area and this is a turning point in my life. I was in the church, but I was in so much pain. I was standing on a platform waiting for a metro train to take me into the city. And I remember thinking to myself. I would rather be dead than anyone know this about me, than my family know this about me. It would break their hearts. And if I can't beat this, I would rather be dead than them ever find out. And I was like, if I could just jump in front of this metro train, I'd be done. I'd be gone in a second. I wouldn't, I would hardly feel it. It'd be tragic. They'd have a beautiful ceremony, but I would be free of this. And my family would never know the pain of knowing this about me. Um, and I was in a very real spiral where I wanted to jump in front of that train. And again, the silver lining and all this, the light that shines through the darkness, the old hymns that I learned, what came to my mind that night, I'll never forget it. Oh, love that will not let me go. It was a hymn that was written in the 1800s by George Matheson. He was a blind man, had a lot of struggles in his life. Um, but he wrote this hymn one summer when he was in, in the midst of extreme pain. And he said he was in great mental distress in the in anguish, and the hymn was the fruit of the pain. And these words came to my mind, O love that will not let me go. I rest my weary soul in thee. I give back to you the life I owe, that in thine ocean depths its flow may richer be. O joy that seeks me through the pain, I cannot close my heart to you. I trace the rainbow through the rain, the morning shall tearless be. And I remember thinking to myself in that moment, Oh, love that will not let me go. I knew somehow through all the pain that I was in and through the brokenness of the, the religious system that I was struggling with, I knew that God throughout my life had shown me and communicated to me somehow that he loved me and that I was created with purpose and he could not let me go. And I couldn't also not divorce myself from the love that I knew I had felt from him. 
And it was very real for me in that moment. And I had the strength to not jump off the platform, even though I desperately wanted to. And so for me, it's just kind of interesting to to understand that, you know, music again, like came through in my life in a way and God used it to communicate to me in a way that maybe saved me. Um, And that's a huge silver lining for my experience in the church. But that summer, I, you know, I, for the first time I tried to come out to my mom and she wasn't able to hear it and said the devil had a foothold in my life, was trying to destroy my future. And I really took her word on that. I trusted her. And my decision at that point was to double down on Jesus to immerse myself in the church, in the Bible, and really just make a decision that that I needed to commit my life to God even, even more so on a deeper level. And that had to be the pathway to peace. That had to be the way that I was going to escape all this pain if his perfect love could purify me over time. And I learned that because of the faith environment that I was just based in. And that worked until I made major life decisions out of integrity with myself in the years that came. And it resulted in a complete car crash 15 years later. Yeah. And so as I sit here today, like I said before, I really do believe still, ironically, I really believe this. I believe that God created me with specific purpose and loves me. I really believe the purpose and all the pain that I've experienced is to help others move past this in the church through this platform and many others that will be to come in my life. I I really do believe that. And I know what deep suffering is because of my experience in the church. I can be compassionate to others as I've deconstructed my faith and then have began the painful, difficult, shaky steps of reconstruction, whatever that means. And with deep scars and still a few bandages, I, I attempt to introduce my children now to faith, now at an affirming church with a Hope that through this better but still imperfect institution, they might be inspired to live and love like Jesus did. And then ultimately, they might experience and encounter God's deep love for them within this church. Because to this day, despite the pain in my journey, I can recognize that I was introduced to a God who loves me and created me with purpose. And I cannot divorce myself from that love that I know will never let me go. It's beautiful. And the car crash that you talked about 15 years later was that you did end up going against who you were created to be. You married a Mm -hmm. woman, you know, started a family and were living uh, privately in the closet within a heterosexual lifestyle and experience. For sure. And I would say the silver lining beyond that through my experience of the church is still, I treasure my children's mother and our friendship. She's an amazing person. I'm glad that we got to experience the things that we did together and continue to be in relationship. I'm glad that I met her. I'm glad that she's in my life. She's still a part of my chosen family for sure. And my beautiful children that are mine, that they are such a gift. Ironically, had I not been steeped in conservative theology, they would not be here. So I'm thankful for them. I really am. It's 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 a really complicated process to understand the good, experience the bad, grieve it, heal from it, hold on to the good, and then move forward better and different. I'm still in a process where I'm trying to figure what out that is. I do still, it's still important for me to identify as a person of faith. I don't even like the word Christian. There's so many triggers, sure. you know, words attached to conservative Christianity. But I do believe in God. I believe he loves me. I believe he has created everyone around us with purpose. And I am moved by that. It informs how I live. That's good. It's important for us to remember, I think, that, you know, whatever path we choose or have chosen, uh, even one that is not the best path for us, 
there are blessings down those paths as well. For sure. Nothing's all one thing. It's not like if I choose the wrong path here, it's only death and destruction. Yeah, you know? that's a good but point. But we are trying to find as we are more enlightened and understand ourselves more and just life more, trying to veer ourselves back onto more of an intended path for our life. And in this case, regarding our sexuality, God. My Angelou said, when you knew better, you did better. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank what you. What about your story? Um, you know, I, I think we've said a lot of this on here, and I'll keep the details minimal. As you know, I was raised in a very conservative background, I was at the church all the time. I uh, had many uh, a grandfather and uncles and aunts and everybody that was in the ministry. So we were just, it's all I knew. Where you said there was really no separation between family and church, very much that. That was my whole life. But what was prevalent in my home and upbringing was abuse and uh, of all the kinds. And so because of that, I thought that my brain had been rewired. I thought those were mm -hmm. where these homosexual thoughts and desires must have come from because it was impossible that God would create someone who is gay. And I was thinking while you were sharing your story about just how much we didn't want to be gay, if there's anything else, you know, and I just imagine <laughs> mm -hmm. all the times that we had asked this entity, God, to fix that. Oh my, heal me, Lord. Yes. Yes. And mm -hmm. I just imagine God saying, um, their problem is there is no problem. <laughs> what I've created you to be is not a problem. So therefore there's nothing here to fix. Uh, I could have never heard that at the time, but so I was very confused about my sexuality to say the least. And, you know, as it increasingly got worse and I went off to college, I didn't know what to do with myself. I remember just wishing that I could be straight and knowing that for me, it was never a choice between being gay and straight. For me, it was a choice between being straight and going to hell. Right. Exactly. Between yeah. being straight and eternal conscious torture. Matt, I sought out help. You know, I, I was a person who I dug. I'm still a digger. I dig at life. I dig to understand what's happening within me and my friends and others. It's just how I'm wired. Uh, and so I sought out help. I'd fallen in love for the first time in my life with a guy that I went to school with. And I didn't know it was love until I was reading journal entries when I was like 32 and was talking about how much I liked him in yeah. the journals and didn't understand why he couldn't reciprocate that in this friendship. <laughs> and with 32-year-old eyes, I was like, oh, my God, I was in love with him. Jeez, like I didn't know yeah. it at the time. You know what I mean? Like If he had been a girl, I think I would have known because it's talked about and understood in the movies and yeah, everything, yeah. but we didn't know that that was even a possibility. And so <laughs> I sought out help. I went to several therapists. I went to a chaplain, talked to him about it. But all of these people that I saw had all been raised in the same tradition as I had. So yeah. it was their belief that gay was wrong and they were attempting to get me not dead, right? <laughs> Get you not dead, get you not damned. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I think that's a really important point. Like if, if you, if you're listening to this and you're in any kind of a process where you're raised in the church or you're still in it and you're trying to get therapy to get help, stop going to see conservative Christian counselors. I was kept stuck for way many more years than I should have been Yeah, because they, they are not able. Motive. Yes. You know, yeah. you, 
they're not going to be honest with, well, they're going to do their best, but it's, it's not what you need to get free. Yeah. No, it's certainly not. But like you, I went to this therapist that I knew was gay from the minute I walked in the door. And it reminded me of that scene from Goodwill Hunting when Matt Damon's character is talking to a gay therapist. Well, you know he's gay. You kind of just figure out that he's gay. And this guy's about to jump his bones while he's talking or whatever. It reminded me of that. Like this guy was asking super inappropriate questions about my abuse and about my thoughts. Like he wanted information and I'm sitting there. And I I mean, at this time I'm 35 years old and I'm like, fucker. You're like, this is not tea, honey. Yeah. Oh, totally. Where it was just like, uh, maybe we should switch spots here because it seems like you might have a few issues around this subject yourself. It was hard to get good help. And I think that was one of the, probably one of the most dangerous things about these churches, cults, whatever, is they circle the wagons And they don't let anybody in with any other different thoughts. So when you go to get help for something that's outside of their understanding, they're helping you in a way that isn't helpful at all. They don't know anybody who can actually talk about these things the way that they need to be talked about. So you just get really, really bad help. And 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 the abuse continues. Yes. And you just feel worse about yourself. Like, what's Mm -hmm. wrong with me? Mm -hmm. So what this led me to is I was like, just fucking get married. Uh, And I loved my ex-wife very much and wanted to get married. But there was a part of me that thought, once I get married, Mm this will all go away. It'll all settle itself. I won't have any options at that point. It'll be gone. Yeah. Uh, That's exactly what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's what I did. And, you know, I would like to explain once and for all the question, did you know you were gay? And how the answer is actually can be both yes and no. Please tell us that. So without the possibility of being able to be gay and with the shame on top of it, you know, and with the idea that if you live out this life, you're going to die and go to hell, there is an awareness that you have an attraction toward men. In my case, everybody had told me that that was because of the abuse that I had suffered. Yeah. And so- you just think it's not really possible, but do you know it? Yes. Somewhere yeah. in your spirit, you know, but it's not like it's even an option. So no. Right. But then when people are like, when did you know you were gay? It's like, well, I knew at that normal time that I was having all these feelings toward boys, but you keep getting told, no, 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 that's not what that's from. That's not what that's from. And yeah. so a lot of people have thought, and I've thought this about myself, this was my fault. I wasn't honest with myself. All of that is true to a point, but it's also not true because it's the only information you have access to. When you've been gaslit your entire life into believing that gay people don't exist, it's a sin issue, it's an expression of the fall, it's a result of abuse, it's only something broken that needs to be fixed. You are not going to have the presence of mind to identify as gay. It's impossible. And Matt, I knew that I was a good person. I knew that I loved people well and that I wasn't some awful human being. Yeah. So that's partly what was so confusing too, is I kept thinking, how could this have happened? Why did this happen to me? Like I'm a normal human being, a good, and I have had this awful disease of sexuality put upon me for no reason. 
And then the only answer to that is, well, God won't give you more than you can handle. That is just so messed up. And so by the time you get married (laughs) and then you get into life, you have a couple kids, when your higher self begins to talk to you and says, oh, this is just really who you are. It's always who you were. It's never going to go away, not with time. And also you're beginning to understand through reading, conversations, life in general, there's nothing wrong with this, but then it's too late. But then it's too late. Yes, because why? I made a commitment Mm -hmm. forever. Mm -hmm. And it does not matter if you were 23 or if you didn't have all the information. It doesn't matter if the decision was made completely out of integrity with yourself. It It doesn't matter if the decision that you made will kill you. Will kill you. Because better that than to lose your soul and Mm -hmm. to dishonor this commitment that you have made to this person. To that right there, I say, bullshit. Everyone has to make their decision. And I've known Mm -hmm. many a gay man who's decided to stand by his woman. Yeah. Okay. That's their choice and everybody Mm -hmm. gets to decide, but it is not a choice that I made. And of course, the rest of the world is like, half the world is divorced. I'm sorry, what's the big deal? Now, divorce is a big deal. It changes family, but it is not something that's going to take your gay ass to hell. Also, don't listen to a cis, white, straight male pastor tell you that you can't move forward differently, that you can't get a divorce. That We have to understand that we cannot rely on counsel from people that are going to perpetuate the abuse. And that is what happens in these circles. And honestly, if, if there are people that stand by their man, stand by their woman, I have a lot of compassion for that. The reality is that they they are suffering because they're stuck to this ideal that has been beat into their head so far, so long that they yeah. cannot come back from it. And yeah. it is the result of abuse. And it is really devastating. You know, my heart goes out of a lot of compassion for people in that in that camp. It's sad. It breaks my heart as well, because uh, the churches are not discussing uh, these conservative churches, things that need to be discussed. And I am watching young gay. My my career was, uh, as you know, worship leading in these large churches where there are a ton of young, good looking gay worship leaders living straight lives. Mm -hmm. And I'm watching those guys all of the time getting married, starting a family with babies And listen, is it projection? You bet your ass it is. I am watching them go right down the same path that I did. And I'm thinking, no, no. I know that you are an artist. So you have this faith, this uh, inspiration. It's what Mm -hmm. makes you great at what you do. And this hope that this is all going to work itself out. It's not. Yeah. It is not going away, not ever, and it'll make you feel crazy. So you talked about jumping off in front of a train and you're about one of the most sane people that I know. And Mm. I sat in a field in college with a green pop bottle broken, held to my wrist, thinking Mm. if I could just get out of this fucking world. And Mm -hmm. out of me, I could be a new me somewhere else. And I wouldn't Mm -hmm. have to carry any of this anymore. Mm -hmm. And I'm not a person that's ever contemplated suicide outside of that moment. Mm -hmm. And it's why we've lost so many people. So Mm -hmm. this shit is important. 
to reconcile. We are two very normal human beings who followed our hearts, ended up married to women, though we're pretty intelligent, self-aware people. <laughs> we knew and we sought out help to rid ourselves. We did the right things, but we made the wrong choice based on very wrong information. And yeah. we're here right now saying, stop the madness. If you're a Christian counselor and a gay boy comes to you for help, please do us all a goddamn favor and send them to someone else. Refer them out mm -hmm. because you don't have the tools if you are still holding on to that theology around homosexuality. You're not Amen. good enough to speak to them. You know, and I had a 27 year old therapist doing her best. Yeah. She was yeah. 27, yeah. doing her best to walk me through the whole idea of, well, sexuality is a spectrum. And all well, I a... heard was, oh, thank God. Oh, thank God. There's an out. I can be fixed. I can be fixed. Yeah. Rather than somebody just saying, honey, you're gay. That's all. It's not a death sentence. Yeah. You can have a good life. And mm -hmm. there may be some hiccups along the way and some difficulties, mm -hmm. but I would have spared some people a whole lot of trouble if I had had this information. You Absolutely. know, and those are things that I've had to make living amends for as best I can. A turning point for me in having the courage to come out and heal and finally get some good information in my head, I think it's worth plugging is Blue Baby's Pink, BT Harmon's Blue Baby's Pink. Um, you know, he, I connected with him specifically because he's almost the same age as I am, was also a pastor's son from very fundamental background. Uh, and he in Blue Baby's Pink just kind of goes through his story of growing up in the fundamental church and the journey that he took to come out. And I saw myself reflected in his story. And he, at the end of this story, was living as an out gay man and about to get married. And it gave me a completely different perspective on my life, hope for what was possible for me. And I think that we need to really be, really be careful if you are someone that grew up in the church and you're still in the church or whatever, wherever you are on that, in that, on that spectrum, if you are trying to get clarity on whether or not to come out or what impossible decisions you have to make that are ahead of you, make sure that you get help from someone that is not steeped in the environment that you grew up in. Yeah. You know, and reach out. Uh, I'm a professional life coach. And also, I'll just fucking listen to you. Mm -hmm. You know, and let's talk about this stuff. I'll help anybody as much as I can. But mm -hmm. my heart breaks for these young guys who are trying with grit, mm -hmm. you know, to be straight. It's no different than somebody trying like hell to be gay. That's straight. Exactly. You know, yeah. it's not going to happen. And you're yeah. not impressing. God, you're impressing men who don't give a shit about how it is that you're really doing inside. And all they want is a poster boy. Look at this gay who's overcome being gay and is mm -hmm. living straight. Haven't we been an effective ministry? Yeah, exactly. Let's stop the abuse. It's a hot mess. <laughs> and I'm grateful to the church. And this is what I said I would do. Here's what I'm grateful for. I am grateful for understanding commitment. That is some of what I've learned in the church, how to commit to things and work towards a goal of something that isn't just about me, but that is about helping people outside of myself. I think that comes from the church. 
uh, understanding how to pour into the lives of others. I think the church has helped to establish sort of a spiritual rhythm in my life, which is helpful in me taking out time to reflect, to meditate, and to learn about other things. That has all been impacting in my life. I'm grateful for learning music in the church. Those are some wonderful things too. And, you know, giving me sort of a social calendar to make friends, what it did not do is point me to my true self. Never. Mm -hmm. It only asked me not to be my true self because you will die forever. (laughs) We were wonderfully made as we are. And I pray that everyone listening is either there on the journey there. Me too. It's the path to peace. Me too. Reverend Silky, what you got for us today? I'm ready. My coming of age happened in a Midwestern town in the 1980s. We didn't know or care to know many gay people in those days. We didn't speak of the LGBTQ plus community with any sort of honor. We discredited and accused them and our churches sent them straight to hell. This was home to me. I was seven when I first understood that my feelings for other boys were to be suppressed. When I was taught to believe that even if I had them, these authentic desires weren't real. And if I tried hard enough, I could have them excised through denial, prayer, or both. The evangelical church had filled my brain with negativity and vitriol over gay people, gay rights, same-sex marriage, and the like. But deep down, I had always known they were wrong, even as a kid. I just didn't have the courage to stand up, to speak out. I allowed myself to be bullied into silence. It was no one's fault but my own. At least that's what I thought. Yet all these years later, here is what I know. That as gay men, we are beautiful exactly as we are. That we don't need to be converted into anything other than what God created us to be. We are not freak shows, we're not condemned, not in trouble with God, not perverts or fags. We are simply gay, simply beautiful. As a young man, I didn't listen to the voice within me that at some level had always known the truth, that I was gay. This is not something that I can change now, but today I can be an advocate for young people. At seven years old, I may not have had agency over my life, but now I do, and I will never be silent again. Hallelujah and amen. Amen. (laughs) If you happen to be listening right now and you're one of those boys, find a different counselor, find a different church. There is something else out there. It doesn't feel like there is, but there Mm -hmm. actually is. That's just as big and even bigger than that little small world you're living in. There are other faith experiences. And if you are out there and struggling with with this, struggling because of the faith environment that you maybe still be in, struggling with the impossible decisions that might be in front of you, I send you my love. I needed to hear at different points in my life that someone was rooting for me and someone loved me enough to help pull me out of the pit that I was in. Matt and I both (laughs) will help you do that if you need some help. And we love you. Keep your chin up. Keep moving forward. You'll find your way. And until next time, live in rivers of self-love. Two, three, four.
That's it for us today. For more bitchy wisdom, follow How to Find and Keep a Gay Man on Instagram and TikTok at, you guessed it, How to Find and Keep a Gay Man. And until we meet again, get a therapist, don't be an asshole, protect yourself, call your mom, and remember that you deserve a meaningful love. Bye.